Content warning. This episode contains depictions of verbal abuse, bodily harm, and addiction. Moss Hollow, Episode 5, Death and Rebirth. Shadows of branches whip through the car window as we drive away. My stomach is in knots. Should I ask him to drive by the gas station? I can make an excuse, like I'm going to grab something quick to eat and throw some cash on the counter, but if we pull up, he'll see whatever state of chaos it's in. Then what? It's better just to go home and figure out work later. They can't call me. My phone is waterlogged. My shift is supposed to be at noon, so if everything is broken and fucked, I won't be able to talk to the guys until I show up later. They'll probably call in a robbery around now. I'm wondering if he's going to get any radio traffic about it while I'm in the car. I'm not sure if I want to hear it, though. Lacey, I'm not going to tell you anything you won't already get an earful about from your mother. Then don't. I just don't like the kind of people you're involved with. Like your son? That's not what I meant. It's really easy to make him uncomfortable. Just because you dated my mom for five minutes doesn't mean you get to give me fatherly advice. You're right. I can't tell you what to do. But I'm going to be disappointed if you end up at the station for some stupid reason. Like running around with that crowd. Trent and them? You know the ones. I think if you focused on your own department, you'd find enough to lecture about to your buddies, don't you think? Shit, I went a little far with that one. You been drinking all night? No, sir. Well, call it a precaution, but I'm taking that bottle you got. What? Why? You trying to make a point, Tim? It's Officer Groves, and I think what you need is a little less liquor and a little more church. I think what I need is a little less civil forfeiture and a little more back the fuck off. You want to know what's in your file? That you were potentially aiding a young woman in a kidnapping? She wasn't kidnapped. She's on the trail somewhere. They're going to find her in an hour and wrap her in one of those, like, space blankets or something. And they'll call her mom and she'll be totally fine. By the end of the week, she'll be back in some Florida condo sucking oranges and starting school. I tell myself I'm not jealous of a summer camp kid. I feel like more of an idiot now, because if it were that simple, why couldn't Anna and I just find her ourselves last night? As soon as we got into camp and I saw that search party, I knew there would be no reward. What the hell was I thinking? I feel guilty for being so desperate. Guilty and ugly and selfish and unshowered and... Well, my guys are up there now helping with the search. And if that little girl isn't found this morning, they're going to take your friend in for more questioning. So if there's anything else you want to tell me, it better be now. There's a pause. I can't figure out if he's making that up to put me in my place, or if there's truth to it. At a stop sign, he starts a voice memo on his phone. Tell me more about Anna Pierce. I immediately press the stop button. I told you in the office she came into work to get band-aids. Shouldn't this be a little more formal, Tim? I kind of hate that I'm indirectly defending Anna. The car is silent again. I think he realizes he can't project a cool action hero image and also tell me to go to church in the same conversation. 
People imagine themselves as all sorts of things, but if you're gonna lie, pick one and stick with it. Tim whacks the console. I swear. I would ask him, swear on what? But I don't want to push it. I start to get worried. I look out the window for any sign of... I'm not sure. I really don't know what we encountered in the woods, but it seems like radios fire off when something is wrong. I start to wonder, was it Claire's voice? And I misread the situation? Finally, we roll up the hill along the dirt driveway. Looking up at the busted porch, the sun catcher flips the light around in the breeze. The wind picks up and carries away from the house, whipping through overgrown branches along the road. How many times have I stood here, dreading going in? I pull my things out of the car while Tim carries the sweaty life jackets to the front door. This is what I mean, Lacey. You all going out to the lake, starting hell. Enjoy my whiskey at your poker game tonight, Tim. He raises an angry eyebrow. Before he gets back in the car, I extend a lazy olive branch by adding, Thanks for the ride. His face softens, but he gets in without saying anything. He's still an asshole. I pull my bag limply up the steps. As I reach the door, my heart fills with resistance. My hand rests on the knob, ready to push it open, but instead I fill my lungs with air and close my eyes. It's fine. I'll get my car back. I know a guy who can keep it at the shop for me until I can get the money. I rest my forehead on the door until, ah, I can still feel it a bit. The wind rises again, lashing my bare arms. Finally, I go in. It's still dim inside. I'm not sure if mom is awake yet. I quietly pad to the kitchen and put my things down. I get out a bowl and grab some rice from the pantry. I don't think this actually works, but I'm trying it for now. I nestle my phone in there like a dumbass hoping for some Lazarus-level shit. See, Tim, I know some church stuff. I turn on the faucet and wash my hands and rinse my face. I ignore the dirty dishes in the sink. Raising my head to the window, I see my reflection. I expect to look like total shit. Ruddy skin, wild hair. No. I look... I've never been beautiful, but I look healthy. I'm a different person. My reflection wears makeup. Her cheeks are radiant. Her eyes are dark. Her hair has perfect waves. This version of myself has learned how to tame the frizz and make everything look on purpose. She's smiling. Her teeth are white. She looks happy. I look down at the half-rinsed mess in the sink and blink away tears. I'm delirious. I look up again, and I'm still there as this better version of me. All the ways I wish I looked, I have in the window. The fluorescent kitchen light flickers. The light flashes in the window, but it's something else. A camera flash. She lowers a camera from her face, looks down at the screen, and smiles wide. There are wisps of colorful fabric in the window's periphery. She's using my dream camera. This is a dream. This is a version of myself that I wanted. A photographer, somewhere else, Lexington maybe? The version of myself I could be if I just saved more, if I took extra shifts, if mom finally got better, or... Lacey. I spin around. Mom. Out again all night? I... You look like hell. 
She sits on the couch, her eyes glazed over. I was helping a friend. Sure, honey, helping one of your little boyfriends. I'm good at sidestepping her remarks. Have you eaten anything, Mom? No, I don't need to eat anything. She passively lights a cigarette. You need something in your stomach. Why are you always out? Your friends are trash. Why are you hanging out with trash? When I turn back to wash the dishes, my beautiful self is gone. I take my time. The longer I keep the faucet on, the less I can hear her. She says something I can't make out. I'll be done in a minute, I call into the other room. I'm still stunned by this image of myself. I can't believe I could look like that. And the camera, I held it like I knew it, like an extension of my own arms, the lens an extension of my own sight. I think about my middle school art teacher. He said I had a good eye for composition. I was too shy to ask him what that meant, so when I got home, I asked Granny. It's a balance of how things should look and what you're making. You know in your heart where things should go, and when you put them where they belong, you feel glad. When I'm done with the dishes, Mom is still on the couch. She flips the TV on. Hey, Mom, you know Granny's boxes? Where did you put those? I don't know, honey. I can't tell my left from my right on my good days, and you want me to remember all that old shit? Just, where is it? Check both the closets, I don't know. I pour her a bowl of cereal, and I set it in front of her. Eat it, Mom. I mean it. I head to the closet closest to my room. Coats, Christmas stuff, the slow cooker we never use, an ironing board. In the back, I find some of what I'm looking for. Three large boxes. One by one, I pull them to my room. The first box is full of files. Scattered papers, manila folders, a couple scrapbooks, and the family Bible at the bottom. I flip it open, and the binding cracks with age. Names I don't recognize next to dates. I don't really know what I'm looking for, and reading cursive intimidates me. I place it back. I open the next box, much larger. Three of Granny's quilts are in here. I pull off the top one and toss it on my unmade bed. It's really old and has a classic windmill pattern on it. And the next one won an award at the state fair. I toss it aside too. The third quilt is pretty worn. The colors and shapes are simple. By comparison, it looks pretty dowdy. I can tell where Granny ran out of a certain scrap and used a different, close enough fabric instead. I carefully lay this one aside. At the bottom are her favorite figurines wrapped in tissue paper. The third box is the heaviest. At the top are photo books. A lot of them are of me, lots of baby pictures, then four years old at a birthday party, then seven years old and lanky, wearing rollerblades. Granny holds me as a toddler, dressed as an angel for church. I think that's the last time I was ever described as angelic. I start picking through more photos. The more progress I make, the further back in time I go. I find a few of Granny and Mom on Christmas Day sometime in the 80s. One of the old Foxfire books is tucked in here, too. Then the photos become foreign. Some are framed and turned down. Photos from a car show in the 60s, a family picnic, World War II weddings, newspaper articles from the strikes in the 30s. I find her jewelry box at the bottom. I open it, expecting Mom to have cleaned it out, but everything is still here. The only thing that's weird is that there's dried plant matter inside. 
tiny bundles held together with thread. I close the box and place this on top of the quilt to hide it somewhere. A small weathered album is crushed at the bottom. When I open it, the first photo is her. I don't know who she is, but this is the one that was hanging in Granny's house and by the wood stove. A woman with dark eyes and long lashes. She isn't smiling. She has on some kind of uniform, but I can't tell what it is. She has a beret and an overcoat and pants, which I find unusual until I notice her riding boots. She has a satchel across her shoulder. I find another picture of her, this time on a horse, but nothing is written on the back except 1924. In this one, she has a brimmed hat with a pin on it and a wide collared shirt taken sometime in nicer weather. I set this one aside too. I have a sinking moment where I wonder who will remember me in this way, tucked in the bottom of a box. Or more like an old hard drive that can't be plugged into anything anymore. I think about what I actually want remembered. The past few years haven't been my best. The more I think about it, the more I start to wonder which years I was actually happy. And I can't really find an answer. Drinking with my friends? New Year's Eve parties with coworkers I don't really care about? The only ones I have with my mom are in here. I avoid the impending existential crisis by searching for my mom's small sewing kit, the one the midwife handed me at the cabin, a box about the size of my palm. If it's in here, then maybe the whole thing was a dream and I don't have to worry about it anymore. I remember Granny using it when I was little. She told me it would be passed down to me. Mom never learned to sew, no patience for quilting. A few years ago, after Granny died, I yelled at Mom during one of her episodes and she threw it at me. I packed it in the closet with the other things, never wanting to look at it again. It's not here. Breathe. It's just somewhere else in the house. I flipped the photo of the woman over. Wait, there is writing. A grid of letters that don't make any sense. I do my best to sound it out, pushing away the shame of my reading skills for a moment. Sator. Arepo. Tenet. Opera. opera rotos. What the fuck? I give up for now. I'm too tired. I'm gonna go into work. See if I can talk to Eddie and get my job back. I'm probably having delusions from stress. In the bathroom, I peel off my dirty clothes. Stepping into the shower, I slick my hair back with water and let it rinse my worry away. But it doesn't. My stomach is tense. Lacey, don't you use up all the hot water like last time. Breathe. Ignore it. I take my time in the shower. The longer I'm in there, the longer I can be alone. I can't ask her who the woman is. I doubt she knows. She never really took an interest in that stuff. She never learned the old ways, the stuff old people in Moss Hollow passed down. The stories, the homesteading tricks, the songs. Then again, neither did I. Not really. Back in my room, I hold back tears. I wrap my hair in my towel so I don't drip on Granny's things. I carefully put everything away except the two photos and the jewelry box. As I slowly pull on my clothes, I say aloud, Granny, I need help. Granny, I don't know what you're asking me to do, but I can't do it. 
I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't even know if I believe in an afterlife or if Granny is in a place where she can hear me. I've never once called on the divine. Not when my Granny died. Not when Mom was having an episode. Not at the lake last week. Never. I always handle things myself. I pick up the jewelry box to put it in a decent hiding spot. Under my bed is too obvious. Mom's gotten in there before. Not my nightstand. I could put it in my old school backpack. Maybe I could put it in my closet next to my savings jar. This jar is for when I can finally leave. When mom can get on her own feet. I can move out. I tell myself someday. And every year that passes, I tell myself this won't be bad forever. This is just temporary. I'm realizing now that the money in this jar is probably going to be used to get my car back. If I can get my car back at all. Fuck. On my tiptoes, I reach in the back of my closet for the jar. I move my baseball caps away from it, and when my fingers find it, it's silent. I lift it out, and there's nothing inside. No. No. She took it. She took it from me. No. 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 I'm about to lose my goddamn mind. My face is red hot. I want to throw up. Just when I think I'm going to, I see a glow from the floor. On my knees, I dig into my dirty jean pockets and I find the vape cartridge. It's glowing a bright greenish-blue color. I stare at it, forcing my body to stand. But my anger overcomes my sense of wonder or curiosity. I feel the tension crawl up my spine like awful heat. I want to hurt her, like all the time she hurt me. I know I'll never, I'll stand here in my room like an idiot, wondering where she spent it and how, and if it was worth it. I'm shaking now. I know her addiction is more important than her daughter. Holding the cartridge, my hands start to hurt. My fingernails are stinging. Uh, I drop the cartridge. I turn my arms over, examining my hands, my wrists. My veins are glowing dimly through my skin. Uh, It hurts. My towel falls off my head. My hair falls in damp locks over my face. Under my fingernails, I see dark green pulp. Plant matter is pushing out of my hands. It's so painful. I smell the fragrance of mint. Under my thumb, a leaf starts to unfurl. Stop! Stop! My fear has overtaken my anger. It does finally stop. Breathe. Breathe. My hands are shaking. Still in pain, I pick all the green off my hands and I wipe it on my towel. The cartridge on the floor still glows. It's pulsing now, beckoning me. Lacey! What the hell are you doing? I have an idea. I put on my clean work polo. I grab my backpack and I throw whatever will fit inside. I grab grandma's jewelry box too, and the quilt. I ran away as a teenager twice, but came back. A change of clothes, my toothbrush, and things from the bathroom. I'm racing now. My baseball cap. I'm grown now. She can deal without me. Let's see how she does on her own. My anger seizes me again. Under my feet, the wet towel is growing more mint. It starts to spread across the floor. Before it overtakes them, I grab the black and white photos and stuff them in my backpack's front pocket. Marching down the hallway, I hold out the cartridge in front of me and I burst into the kitchen. Lacey, you answer me when I talk to you. 
I hold it next to my phone. In my head, I repeat the mantra to myself. I bind the cycle of life and death. I bind the cycle of life and death. It's time to leave. I can do this. Lacey, where do you think you're going with all that? I know you're not going to work. My hands start to hurt again. No, I push my anger beneath my wave of desperation. I'm leaving, Mom. No, you're not. Where are you gonna go? You can't leave me. She grabs my arm. I feel my veins swelling. I pull her off and focus on my phone and the rice. She storms toward the TV. You can't even keep your phone alive. You get all this from your father. Where do you think you could go with no money? You took my money! Now I've turned toward her and I'm letting out a long, vile string of everything I've ever held back from her. I call her horrible names. A pathetic excuse for a mother. It all comes pouring out. You know you'll never leave, she says. I didn't raise you to be chicken shit when things get hard. You! You make it hard! She reaches for the bowl of cereal and hurls it at me. The bowl misses, but I'm drenched in milk. I stare through her, unsurprised, but more hurt than I've ever been. Unflinching, I tell her, I'm leaving. For all the heat I feel, my demeanor is absolutely frigid. My arms hurt, I can feel it happening. I just have to hold it back long enough to get out the door. I have just enough resolve to do it. She pleads with me now. You're coming back, right? I need my baby here with me. Look, I'm sorry about all the things I said. I'm so sorry, baby. Let's get you cleaned up. Honey, come on. I'm sorry. I'll get you a fresh shirt. It's all right now. No. Just then, my phone lights up. It worked. I'm astonished, but I don't have time to check it. I grab it from the bowl and I move toward the door. I feel heat in my neck. My hands are searing with pain. Small buds start to creep from my fingers. My veins are pulsing a dark color. She can see it now, I'm sure. She yells after me. You're marked. You're a marked child is what you are. I knew it. I knew it. I rip open the door and I tear down the steps. Tears are falling now and my body is so hot I feel like it's on fire. Lacey! Lacey! I don't want to look back, but I know I'm never coming home again. I turn over my shoulder and in the bedroom window I see huge stalks of mint growing wildly out of control, pressing up against the window like there's no more room inside. Gripping my backpack, I run. Hollow is written and performed by Melinda Beck. Original music by Kendall Winter. Mountain Foley by Melody Parrish. You can still submit your ghost stories by visiting mosshollowpod.com, and all the usual links will be listed in the show notes below. If you're liking the show, please consider leaving a rating or a review. This helps others find the show too. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.